Hi, welcome to a new episode of Pasha. My name is Inas Kosana. Thanks for joining us. We recently spoke about the standard gauge railway in Kenya and its benefits. One of the big, big, big attractions of the standard gauge railway runs between the capital Nairobi and the second city, Mombasa, is just a travel, passenger travel between the two cities. The standard gauge railway in Kenya has brought the beach much closer to me. It takes about five hours to cover the trip from the capital city of Nairobi to the coastal city of Mombasa. It also feels much safer to cover the distance by rail than by road, a trip that generally takes eight hours. In the past, travel is a huge pain in the neck, traveling by road especially. It's a long journey, 500 kilometers, queuing behind trucks, rough patches of road. But these major projects also have some big negative repercussions. These range from threats to the environment, such as messing up the habitats of wildlife like lions and elephants. Big infrastructure projects can also open the door to the arrival and spread of invasive species. The negative impact of the projects also extend to communities. For example, one major criticism is that they benefit wealthy people, but don't help poorer communities. These big projects also often lack proper planning in terms of timeframes. Often, they are planned without thinking about changing weather patterns. To start us off, our colleague Moina Spuna spoke to postdoctoral fellow Dr. Tobias Nyumba. My name is Dr. Tobias Nyumba. I work at the University of Nairobi and the African Conservation Center as the coordinator for the Development Corridors Partnership Project in Kenya. Background in environmental science and also human geography. Moina asked them about some of the wildlife-related issues with the Standard Gauge Railway, also known as SGR. Along the Standard Gauge Railway corridor, well, we've experienced a number of impacts, particularly on the ecological systems. Number one being that uh, by the way the Standard Gauge Railway is designed, it's kind of raised above the ground and therefore it naturally becomes a barrier to the movement of wildlife particularly where it crosses the likes of Savo Conservation Area, the Nairobi National Park, and several community conservancies uh, within the Athikapiti Plains, for instance. Number two, uh, during construction of the SGR, of course, there was uh, you know, the need to bring in soil and other materials from other areas across the country. And some of these actually uh, became uh, you know, conduits for the occurrence of invasive plant species as has been witnessed a lot within Nairobi National Park and across areas of Savo, where a lot of soil and the, you know, new plants have emerged. Beyond that, we've also seen a situation where uh, animal behaviors have also changed as a result of the constant interaction with the traffic that is using the SGR and associated uh, linear infrastructure. For instance, we are seeing uh, incidences of human-wildlife conflict increasing with uh, predators across Nairobi National Park, and also elephants across the Savo Conservation Area. And one of the most uh, significant observations that I've made is uh, the, the, the way lions, for instance, have habituated to human presence across Nairobi area. Uh, in, northern, in, uh, in the northern parts of Nairobi National Park, you know, they no longer get scared of human beings and we see them crossing over into human residences as a result of being dispersed away from the SGR line. In separate interviews, we spoke to Jessica Thorne at the Department of Environment and Geography at the University of York in the UK. We also spoke to Gediminas Lesutis, a research associate and research fellow at Darwin College. Jessica highlighted these issues. What we're very interested in is how it leads to biodiversity loss or habitat fragmentation 
pollution, it can, uh, development corridors can spread invasive species, it can increase illegal logging, it can cause more poaching and fires, and often the severity of uh, the effect uh, can, can really impact river deltas or coastal and marine ecosystems. Another key area that can cause negative outcomes is that development corridors consume large amounts of greenhouse gas intensive products such as steel and cement. Given that development corridors in sub-Saharan Africa are at their planning stage, however, but beyond these environmental impacts, development corridors can also widen inequalities between stakeholders that are not necessarily involved in the planning process, but are affected by it. And this can lead to local transformations in livelihoods or increase adjacent communities' exposure to natural hazards like flooding or erosion. It can also often lead an unsustainable burden of debt in certain national countries and are often fraught with anxieties because there's a lot of social contestations and protests around, uh, around the rooting of these. Gediminas explained the problems with these projects and inequality. And so Kenya, uh, where I work, where I've done my re research, is no exception here. It is almost inevitable that large-scale development interventions will have very uneven effects because Kenya is a highly unequal country. And for, like for instance, according to Oxfam International, in Kenya, less than 0.1% of the population have more wealth than the rest of the population. And of course, I mean, we can discuss about this more because this inequality is not just uh, happens, it's a result of British colonialism, uh, rampant nepotism and corruption since independence, as well as e unequal integration of Kenya into neoliberal global economy that started in the late 1980s. So it is this historical context of stark inequalities and power struggles that we have to acknowledge. And once we do that, we sort of know that the way these projects manifest on the ground will interplay with these already existing inequalities and will benefit some people whilst disadvantaging others. But there are other examples of development corridors with issues. There's the Refugi Basin, the largest and most economically important river basin in Tanzania. There is also the Southern Agricultural Growth Corridor, designed to improve agricultural production, food security and livelihoods in Tanzania. Thanks to a change in climate, these regions experience drought and flooding. For more on this, Moina spoke to Professor Conway. I'm Professor Declan Conway. I'm based in the Grantham Research Institute on Environment and Climate Change at the London School of Economics. I'm a geographer. I work with a lot of people from different disciplines. He spoke about the importance of properly planning these projects. We very much focus on large-scale developments. So this might be major investments, in some cases many hundreds of millions of dollars, into new infrastructure, for example, hydropower dams or perhaps the expansion of ir irrigated farming areas. And this infrastructure has lifespans of, of many decades into the future. And it's really important to make sure that we consider how such infrastructure might operate under a, a changed climate conditions in the future. Is it going to still be efficient and effective? 
because the conditions of the climate could be quite different, much higher temperatures, higher variability in rainfall, higher frequency of floods and droughts. So we want to be sure that these investments are going to be resilient against such changes. And it's that really scale, that large scale of, of infrastructure, which has been the focus of our work within the Rafiji Basin and the, the Southern Agricultural Growth Corridor uh, of Tanzania. So within this basin that has been targeted with some major uh, ambitious plans for expansion of irrigated agriculture in some parts of the basin and also the development of a major new hydropower dam which is going to be called the Julius Nyerere Hydropower Project and is currently under construction in the lower part of the Rafiji Basin. So in addition of course to, to the planned infrastructure there are within, within the corridor many areas of important sites of biodiversity and water is crucial for, for these sites because it provides environmental services, things like maintaining water levels within wetlands or maintaining river levels during the dry season to ensure that the right habitats are there for different types of wildlife and, and biodiversity. What happens if these projects don't take climate change into consideration? It really isn't a routine operation yet for organisations to, to stress test or to, to assess the climate risk to infrastructure and planning decisions that, that they're making within those corridor areas. Situations such as the research projects that, that we're working on now through, through the Development Corridors Partnership, we are doing that work. It's quite detailed and can be quite demanding. So there are particular instances where it's very important to do it in large investments costing many tens or hundreds of millions of dollars, then it's absolutely vital to be implementing a, a, a climate risk assessment such as this. And through the project, we're developing um, practical ways in which organisations and investors can do this kind of risk assessment. If we go forward we, without doing the, this type of work, is that of course in 10, 20, 30 years, and even now we're experiencing ranges of extremes that haven't been experienced in the recent past. And that's creating problems for the sustainability, the management of infrastructure, disrupting infrastructure, floods, taking out roads and parts of railway lines, the culverts and the bridges, impacting upon that infrastructure and reducing its viability, both in the current day and also in the future. If we perform a, a rigorous risk assessment early on, it allows us to identify the kinds of mitigation activities that could reduce the exposure to, of the infrastructure to, to future risks. These type of projects can be quite harmful. They affect the land, people and biodiversity where they are implemented. They have benefits, but they must be done with people and land in mind. Our next episode will explore how to make them sustainable and working for everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this episode, produced by Ozea Patel, Julius Miner, and Caroline Salvi. From me, Ines Kwasana. Bye for now.